0: Welcome back to Martins and More. My name is Maury Rootsch.
1: And I'm Spoon
0: Phillips. In today's episode, is brought to you by the Martin D35. The reimagined D35 is the working man's dreadnought. Revamped in 2018, a distinctive three-piece back and antique white binding around the fingerboard set it apart. The expressive quarter-inch straight bracing gives it balance and power for any situation. For more information on the legendary Martin D35, please visit Mari'smusic.com or contact us today. Before I get ahead of myself, Spoon, please allow me to get ahead of myself. At the end of almost <laughs> every episode, we always ask you, please consider reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, and we might even read your review on the air. We're going to do that whole thing in the beginning, and you'll see why. Our friend Jim writes, I really love this series. If possible, will you do an episode on the D-35 model history, bracing changes through the years, and maybe even the famous players that played them? So Spoon, now do you see why I talked about that first?
1: (laughs) I see. I'm being put on the spot yet again. Uh, So not only (laughs) is this episode brought... Uh, to you by the D35. Apparently, this episode is going to be about the D35. Well, yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. But first, I think we need to get back to our top 10 reasons to own a Blue Ridge guitar. So we should fit one of those in here, too.
0: Oh, we failed to say that the last two weeks, being our Martin fest recap and all.
1: That wasn't very cool. That's right. So we're going to go back and pick up where we left off with the 8th of the top 10 reasons. Number eight, reason to own a Blue Ridge guitar. (coughs) Distinctive styling. That's right. The distinctive styling of Blue Ridge guitars combines traditional aesthetics, and of course body sizes, with their own special panache. So you have certain guitars on Blue Ridge that look sort of like Style 18 Martins and Style 18 Martins from several years ago before the reimagined Standard Series. Then you have ones that are sort of like Style 28 Martins or 28 Herringbones, 28 H Martins. You have certain ones that are like The D45s, and in all cases, you have certain things about them that are unique to Blue Ridge. Uh, This is often not just in the shape of the headstock, but in the design of the headstock. And they tend to have fancier headstocks than what you might say is their equivalent Martin in terms of uh, styles. And the fancier you get in a Blue Ridge guitar, the fancier the headstock comes with these... really interesting, everything from botanical patterns to torch patterns, but they're more abstract and not not uh, actual torches per se. Also in their pick guards, they prefer your choice between the traditional black pick guard that Martin used for many, many years, or a uh, leopard, what I call leopard pattern, that was inspired by the famous 1935 D28, Uh, formerly owned by the late Tony Rice and uh, the late Clarence White before him. So those are just some of the reasons that uh, Blue Ridge stand out. But you should get on Mar's Music and uh, get a good look at some of the pictures of the Blue Ridge we have in stock there so you can see for yourself what I'm talking about when you get into the details of the unique styling uh, exclusive to Blue Ridge Guitars.
0: Well, thank you for another great BR segment there, Spoon. And I do agree. It's nice how Blue Ridge, I mean, obviously pays homage to the guitar they're copying or the guitars that are inspiring them, but they're not trying to go the whole 10 yards like some lawsuit Takamine or or things that you've seen in the past. (laughs) You certainly look close enough and you quickly see, this is not meant to look exactly like a Martin. It's just trying to sound very much like one and not to take into consideration that the fact that they feel a little bit different too. But if you do look closely, As they say, the devil's in the details. And when you look at something like a BR-160 or a BR-260, your first instinct might be to think it's an Old Martin. But like you said, the inlays, especially the floral headstocks on certain models, it's a dead giveaway for sure. But we're very proud to carry the Blue Ridge line. And we, of course, do invite you to check out maurysmusic.com when you can. And you're always welcome to contact us if you want some more information. Uh, One of the guitars they never did try to copy, for what it's worth, is the D35. And again, we want to thank our friend Jim for the nice comment. The D35, while in my opinion it's not as legendary as the D18, the D28, maybe not even as much as the HD28, if there was a top four or a, a Mount Rushmore for Martin guitars, and you talked about the 18, the 28, and the HD28, would we be wrong to try to lump in the D35 in that category?
1: No, not at all. I think you'll definitely find uh, people out there who are big fans of the D35 and other guitars that were inspired by the D35 that Martin has produced over the years. And uh, I think there's uh, uh, you know a lot of argument for it uh, definitely be belonging up there in the same pantheon with the D28 and the D45 and the D18. It's just not as old. So it hasn't been around as long as those... Uh, other instruments um, that being said it makes it um, more consistent in terms of the design of the D35 compared to you know when you try to compare a D28 from 1990 or 2000 to a D28 or a D18 rather when they first came out as a 14 fret guitar in 1934 uh, they're very different where the D35 has a greater consistency and, and it's evolution.
0: So if one of our listeners goes to check out eBay and somebody's selling a 1936 D35, are you calling it hogwash?
1: <laughs> yes, that's a major uh, hogwash <laughs> alarm. No doubt, no doubt about it. And yet, the D35 came about because of the 1930s Martins. And at that time... Uh, at that time, when Martin had gone away from scala bracing and forward-shifted bracing and, and other things that uh, went away uh, after the Second World War or during the Second World War, uh, and then through the 50s and into the 60s, um, just as the folk boom was really reaching its peak in the early 60s, people started discovering the old Martins. And uh, there weren't a lot of New Martins. It, uh, the backlog was something like five years on a D28 for guitar stores in the uh, mid, late 1950s. Um, I'm not sure if that's an exaggeration or not, but I've certainly heard that. And so maybe it was only a year or two, but you were still talking about guitar stores uh, taking a long time to get New Martins and they were in serious demand. Um, in 1955, uh, I believe it was 1955, off the top of my head, they came out with the D, uh, D21 as a way of offering a slightly uh, less expensive D28 and one that also didn't have as nice of rosewood in the eye of the very conservative C.F. Martin III. Fred Martin, uh, Chris's grandfather, uh, was in charge of the company at that time and was very traditional in wanting what a lot of people would say is, very boring straight grain. So there was a lot of uh, Brazilian rosewood that wouldn't have made it on a D28 and decided to use them on on D21. By the time you get up into the 60s the D21 styling changed until it was basically identical to a D18 except with rosewood instead of mahogany and except it had the big style 28 uh, domino dots. Now the reason I bring that up is in that early sixties period when people were coming to Fred Martin and saying can you make a guitar that sounds more like the ones you were making in the nineteen thirties that had a more resonance to it and uh... they knew that it was due to scallop bracing, which martin didn't do and instead of and fred martin's the guy that got rid of scallop bracing, partially if not primarily because it took a long time to do and and they were way behind production, and so they went with straight bracing. Um, there's you know old rumors that they went with straight bracing because people were using heavier strings and all this stuff. But as far as I know, um, it was entirely economic, and they wanted to increase production and cut you know and cut down production time. So they got rid of the scallop bracing and went with the straight bracing. So come to now, circa 1964. 63, when they were uh, you know, more and more people were asking for that more resonant Martin sound, Fred Martin and his designers tried to capture that or bring back more resonance to the Martin dreadnought sound without reverting to scallop bracing. They didn't have anybody who worked there at the time that was an expert in scallop bracing, for one thing. And instead of re, you know, retraining everybody to do that, they started, they started experimenting with bracing sides. And so I think we're talking 1965, maybe it's 64, when they started making prototypes. Now, I'm talking about bracing, but I'll do a sidestep over to talk about the wood. Most people, when they think of a D35, they think of the three-piece back. And a lot of people don't think of bracing at all. They don't know that much about bracing, but they do know about the three-piece back with a center wedge that traditionally uh, looks different than the two outer wedges. So the two outer wedges tend to look uh, similar and the center wedge is contrasting in its grain and often in the shading of the wood. And this is done on purpose for aesthetic reasons. And those two outer wings are typically from the same piece of wood. So at the same time that they were trying to get more resonant sounds out of Martin Dreadnoughts while they were doing exp- experimentation at the factory, they also were running into shortages of good-looking Brazilian rosewood that was large enough to make a two-piece back. They had lots and lots of old growth, old stock that had been aging and seasoning for a very long time that wasn't large enough to make a two-piece back on a dreadnought and they didn't get the kind of orders for triple os and the uh, new 12-fret uh, double-o size that they were using for the double-o 21s and you know this little slope shoulder double-o's and so they had all this excess rosewood that was really good-looking rosewood so that's where they came up with the idea of making a three-piece back was to use Really nice-looking rosewood that just simply couldn't be used to make a two-piece back. So as they were experimenting with the three-piece backs, they were also experimenting with different bracing sizes. Now I know that they made that the very first R&D model was called the X35. And for those of you who are familiar with Martin uh, style names, typically, if there was a one at the front of the style name, a teen, so it were, it would be made with mahogany. This, by the time you get into post-First World War, if it had a one in front of it, 16, 16, 17, 18, it had, and actually I don't think there were 16s at that time, 17 or 18, it was made with mahogany or something else other than rosewood. There are odd models made in the Depression era with birch or whatever, but they, when you got into the two, that meant rosewood And the different levels of 21, 28 had more to do with trim and the quality of the wood in terms of the aesthetics. When you got into the fours, then you got into pearl inlay. So now they're talking about looking at using really good rosewood, even though they had used three-piece backs. They were going to make something that was in between style 28 and style Uh, the styles, the 40s styles that they had been using with pearl up until the uh, advent of the Second World War. And so in other words, this was going to be considered a premium model, and they were going to give it a bound fingerboard. And so style 28s and style 21s did not have a bound fingerboard. Only those pearly Martins did. Martin was not going to go back to the pearl inlay. They were going to deal with it in terms of wood only, but they were still going to dress up this new model, and they decided to call it a 35. And so the X35 was the first prototype. They were worried about um, the three-piece back holding up under thinner bracing, so they made, I think, six more prototypes. Um, They ended up being called the D35A, D35B, and D35C, And since that's all that's in the record, they probably made two of each, which was common. Martin would often make two prototypes. In the ledgers, they talk about these guitars as being made with double O bracing and triple O bracing. And so, what does that mean? Well, on a double O, at that time period, the bracing was quarter-inch bracing. And a triple O was was, um, the full-size bracing you know similar to what you have on a on a 5 inch bracing that you would have on a dreadnought why they call it triple o and double o i'm not sure but that's what they said in the ledger and so they did different experimentation and 35c won out sound wise and that guitar had 5 16th inch straight bracing on the top and quarter inch bracing on the back braces and so Unlike the D28s at that time and the D18s and the D21s, it had th- thinner back bracing, um, and uh, but the same top bracing. And that doesn't matter anymore because now all Martins have thinner back bracing than they used to have. Uh, in the 1960s, so I'm not even sure if it's exactly quarter inch anymore. But the, the you know the back braces, but that's how they came up with it. And the whole point of the thinner bracing was to get a more resonant sound. And what they were trying to do, they were trying to replicate the sound of pre-war Martins because people were asking for the more resonant sound, but they didn't want to use Gallup bracing, and they accidentally invented an entire new Martin sound with the D35. Huh.
0: Yeah, most of my accidents result in those things, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine that, though. I'm going to ask you to pause for a second, take a deep breath, and think about what that means. Martin wanted to try something and accidentally invented the D35. Sure, it's not as old as the other guitars, but look how long it's been successful. And we have to just agree, it would have come and gone much faster than still being talked about in the year 2023 if it didn't work out right. And I wonder, you, you mentioned a little while ago, There were some prototypes and they ended up you know selecting the one they selected do you remember how thin they ever pushed the issue like how how fragile or how uh how thin the
1: bracing ever got that's a good question i don't know i don't think the bracing got any thinner than than the quarter inch you know what they call double o bracing but they did it in combination they tried it they tried it uh various combinations and i don't know what that means because there wasn't enough information in the in the uh, journals, does that mean, or the ledgers, does that mean that they that they tried more than one size at the same time on the top bracing, which is like the old original OMS from the 1930s had a 5 16th inch uh, X bracing quarter inch tone bars. Did they try to do something like that? Nobody knows for, for certain. All I know, all we know is they tried different different techniques and the only stuff that ended up getting written down was the size of bracing that was used on these different prototypes so these prototypes might have included different cosmetics as well but we don't know that so we do know that the D35C prototypes went into production as the D35 in 1965 or is it 1966 hold on a second I'm gonna say they went into production in 65 but they were in the catalog in 66 and that's again off top of my head but 1966 is the first martin catalog so there's there may be d35s that are stamped uh 1965. Um, 1966 is the last year um well 1965 is definitely the last year for for hide glue and um i think in 1966 there may have been transitional period um before they went with the modern white glues or um but also, it was the transition from the tortoise pickguard to the black pickguard. So 1966 was the year that they went to the black pickguard on the 1821 and 28s, as well as the 35s. But there's probably some early D35s with the tortoise guard. And there might even be some early D35s with hide glue. I don't really know for certain when hide glue went away in that 65, 66 period. Um, and so, they, the first year, they uh, came out in 66 into the stores. 67, they introduced the D35S, the 12-fret version. Now, S in those days meant uh, did not mean slotted headstock. It meant standard body size, which refers to the old pre-1934 12-fret dreadnought body size. And uh, they didn't use the S to mean that until the 60s folk boom with the D28S. So if you see S's on any stamps prior to uh, and up and in, including that up until 1959, you still see S's on stamps. That means special order, which was the closest thing to a custom sh- uh, sh- order they had in those days. So, um, But when you see a 12 fret with D28S or D35S or D18S, it means the standard body shape. Uh, and they only made one of those in that very first year. And then um, when it comes to D35, I know they made a few hundred in the first year, and then they jumped to like over 900 in the second year. And again, I I probably should have looked this up. I don't know if we're talking 66-67 or 65-66, but I'm Guessing 66, 67 is when they uh, ramped up the production. And then the following year, they were making the, over 1,000 D28s. Okay, the cat's walking across the thing, so hold on a second.
0: We'll be right back after we pause for station identification.
1: <laughs> okay, we just took a quick pause. I wanted to look it up. So we're actually talking 65. It was the first year of the D35. 66 is when they ramped up into over 900. Uh, that was the uh, year they made the first uh, D35s. The following year they made more of those. The D35s, the 12 version, version lasted all the way up into the early 90s, uh, probably 1994. And then they, uh, and you know, they may have made them sporadically after that. But the real run uh, went from 66 to 94. While the D35. You talked about them sticking around. It quickly became offered as the premium Martin. So there was the D28, but the D35 had the bound fingerboard and, uh, and had the three-piece back and had the new bracing. So they had a, uh, a different tone. And so they quickly, uh, they quickly started selling... Uh, To celebrities because this was the latest Martin model and this came out um, right when rock and roll was really coming into its own and so uh, by 1970 the D 35 was the Martin that people wanted and uh, and again I'm talking rock and roll and the major pop stars the Judy Collins David Gilmour for you know, Pink Floyd bought one. That became his main acoustic on the Pink Floyd albums from um, p- probably Dark Side of the Moon on. He may have had it even before then. Um, where the Beatles ended up with D28s, a lot of people were buying D35s. And it became uh, you know, very common to see D35s from like 1970 on in the hands of, of you know, big stars. And it certainly was promoted that way, as it was, there were no D45s until 68. And so when it first came out, this was the, uh, the premium Martin. And it had, you know, by and large, really nice old-growth Brazilian rosewood, as part of its three-piece back. And then, um, and these, in those days, those, they had what we now call the full-thickness neck, and since they were all hand-carved and hand-shaped, even though they had little brass or little plate templates, they would check, you know, the third fret and the tenth fret to make sure it was in spec. They're still being shaped by hand. So the neck shapes are all over the place. Some of them have have much more noticeable sort of V-feeling shapes to them than others. But they are all they all tend to be a, a bit of a handful if you're not used to 1960s Martins. Still 2-1-8 string spacing and one 11 inch uh, nut width, um, but that, uh, and and white binding, you know, now they have antique binding, and we'll get into the new the new ones later on. Well, the antique binding is meant to look like a Martin that's been around since the 1960s that has lost some of that bright, bright white, uh, you know, sh- shimming argent white sheen that they had Uh, when they were brand new. And so in those days, they would be very bright white and bright white dots. Um, Again, early model, early examples uh, from 65 would have the tortoiseshell pickguard. Later examples would have a black pickguard. Like everything else, they lost the Brazilian rosewood in 1969. Um, There's been reports of people that think their center wedge is Brazilian and so forth. And I'm not going to say that's not true, I've never seen any guitar like that, but it's possible that some D35 backs might have carried some Brazilian over past the official line, but I've never seen one. Uh, just to give you an idea of how much Martin thought of this model, and particularly uh, Fred Martin, when the first big anniversary model came out around that time, which I'm pretty sure is the 175th? No. 125th, I don't remember, but the first big time they did an anniversary model, the model they chose to, to uh, use was the D 35. Wow, yeah, so we're you know, so so I guess that's 1974, um, and that's what they chose, you know, as that the what they considered their you know, their showcase model was the D 35, and so those anniversary models are, are D 35s with whatever else they. Have with them that makes them, you know, special. But um, so, so they've always gone on uh, to popularity with big strummers. Uh, I think because of that unique bottom end that they have. Some people claim they're bassier. I think of it as different, more than more necessarily. But it definitely, to me, sounds like you get more of a acoustic bass player throb to that bottom end. And I believe to my ear, the treble sound different too. The treble sound trebles sound very precise. They sound thinner than a D28. And I'm, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Thin can sound, you know, something sounds thin. I don't mean it that way. I mean like they're super focused. And that makes them uh, very clear. And how much of that is because The lower bottom end is thicker and woofier or fuller, and it's an audible illusion, if you will, to my ear, or if they really are, uh, you know, if they really report differently than a 28, but it sounds that way to my ear. And um, I know people who love to use them for finger picking. I know people who prefer 28s for finger picking. I know people who, uh, I think everybody loves the D35s for strumming. And I think of them as a powerhouse guitar and big, powerful chords, especially if you put on medium strings. But our friend Mike Buono, um, well, his is an HD35, but there we haven't even got into the HD35s. But I know other people who have D35s. Tony Phillips, uh, he'll strum and finger pick, but he loves D35s and, and has had multiple ones and has multiple ones from different eras and in different configurations. And he's a big fan of the D35 straight brace sound. So you don't get the wavering resonance you get from scallop bracing. It's a different kind of resonance that uh, you get from the quarter inch straight bracing that's exclusive to the D35.
0: You can't play fingerstyle on a dreadnought.
1: (laughs) Tell that to Stephen Stills. But uh, I want to wheel back to something
0: you said a few minutes ago and, and challenge our listeners, especially our viewers, if you're watching this on the YouTube version, two questions for you. Did you own or do you own a D28 or a D35? And if so, do you believe that the D35 really is premium against the D28 or is it the other way around? And we mentioned just a very sparse list of famous players who've played the Martin D35. We'd like you to name your favorite D35 musician in the comments of this video below.
1: Wow, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And, uh, you know, I will also point out that they also made a D35 walnut, extremely rare, Martin. Uh, this, is, uh, this is going back a ways too uh, when they made them they and they made very few of them so I would love to know if anybody out there owns a D35W. Wow. I'm looking it up right now because I want to see, so hold on one second, well, I, I reach out to Jombi the Genie and they made three in 19, wait
0: a second, D35. Is that com?
1: Might be a close relation. They made three D35Ws in 1966, and they made three in 1968. So a total of six D35Ws. So that would be a pretty uh, collectible guitar, I would think.
0: And could I ask you a question that's on my mind so it might be on someone else's mind? Certainly. You talked about all these D35s and how they changed from their inception into the late 60s. Are they all Sitka tops?
1: That's a good question. Um, I would say they're Sitka Tops by default. There's definitely a period of time in the 19, early 1990s uh, where Martin was arbitrarily putting Engelman Spruce on what we would call today Standard Series guitars, and I know they're on the HD28. There were definitely HD28s that would come out, and they wouldn't even... You know, it wasn't marked anything at all. But uh, I remember seeing one at uh, Mandelim Brothers and Stan. J. checked with Martin, and it was in fact an Engelman spruce top. So they did, de- and I and I believe they had Matt Ewinoff had some too. Did they ever put them on a D thirty five? I don't know. Um, that's a very good question.
0: None of those early models had Adirondack tops, right?
1: No, no, no. Adirondack. Adirondacks was gone. I mean, there's still people who are adamant about the fact that there was red spruce. In the nineteen fifties, and I think, uh, and and I think um, that's now been you know people have delved into the uh, into the ledgers. Uh, Greg Hutton, particularly, uh, knows for certain what you know what logs came through the factory, and there may have been some red spruce, in fact, used in the. Um, know late 50s they were certainly you know what's now everybody talks about mystery tops from 1935 he is thoroughly convinced that it was red spruce from Vermont and that's all there is to it and so it wasn't Engelmann it wasn't German however when you get into the 60s Martin was occasionally get German spruce and so and they all they know when they uh, you know it's European spruce and back then it simply meant it came from a dealer in Germany and they don't know the countries of origins for this stuff when you hear people talking about German spruce they you definitely use German spruce on their first D45s that were made uh, in the late 60s when they were bringing back pearl inlay uh, since they considered the D35 to be a you know their premium uh, you know what we again called you know sort of standard uh, Martin dreadnought it's entirely possible but I've never heard of that being the case so, yeah, so the D35, very popular. Uh, it's like a lot of, like those instruments that um, late 70s uh, into the 80s, they went to the adjustable truss rod and the low-profile neck uh, that was allowed to exist because of the adjustable truss rod. Uh, they continued to be, uh, uh, often have really outstanding tops. I think they, I'm not sure, you know, back when they were doing the traditional wood grading, that, you know, the the grade 7-8 was for the pearled Martins, the 41s, 42s, and 45s, after all those guitars started coming out. And a 5-6 was for uh, style 28 and 35. I'm pretty sure that a 35 would have always gotten a 6. And perhaps they even got 7s. And when they came out with the HD 35, which wasn't uh, too long after... All this happened. They came out with the HD 35. Like the year they came out with the after the HD 28, and this was the introduction of herringbone trim and scallop bracing back in to uh, the Martin's main catalog. And so the HD 35 is a D 35, but it's got scallop bracing instead of straight bracing. It's got herringbone trim that they. You know, associated associated with scallop bracing and the back bracing. The the strips that go over the centerpiece are herringbone as well instead of the gold brocade or whatever you want to call it that they that they used uh, on the regular D35. And um, I think they both look cool. I think there's something about the uh, herringbone that allows the wood to stand out a little more. But um, but there's something about the the regular D35s back strips that give a greater separation to the three pieces of wood. So, so I think they both look good, but they definitely have a different aesthetic to them. And, and again, to this day, the backs, the outer wings tend to come from the same uh, piece of wood. And, and the, the inner one is you know, purposely charred, the center wedge uh, purposely picked to, to work with them, but be contrasting in both uh, hue and grain. Uh, to give that very cool look. I'd also point out uh, when they came out with what's now called the M36, it was originally called the M35. The very first M36s were called M35s. They then changed it to 36 because of the Rosewood Bridge. And for some reason, they felt like well, it's not exactly style 35, so what do we call it? And somebody said, well, we'll call it 36. And they said, okay, that's what it is. So the only guitar, you know, the only model ever made in style 36 is the M36, but it's basically an M35 with a rosewood bridge. Um, and for a time they made them with uh, ebony bridges, but they didn't change the name back to M35. So that's kind of a sister guitar um, that was around early on after the D35 and D35, HD35 came out.
0: Well, if you might remember a few episodes ago, we did some role playing. Would you mind playing a quick game with me if I'm the customer and you're working at Maury's Music this week because I'm on vacation? Certainly. Right, bring, bring. Maury's Music, this is Spoon. Hey, Spoon, I love your videos, especially Martin's and more. Ah, yeah, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I have a question for you. Go right ahead. I'm considering purchasing a D35, but I also want to consider the HD35. And when I talked to Mari last month when he wasn't on vacation, he told me that he can prove that any guitar that's good is even better when it's an HD version of it, because the D28 versus the HD28 It's it's a known fact the HD-28's better. And he said the same thing about the HD-35 being better than the D-35. I won't make you comment on the stylistic opinion there, but can you help me understand why would some players want to buy the HD? Why would some players want to buy the D? And what is the tangible difference? Uh,
1: If I was Dick Boak, he would say, um, I can sum it up in three words, tone, 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 because that's what it's all about. I mean, sure, if somebody has to have a herringbone because of the looks and that's what they're going to go for, that's fine. But the difference between the two guitars, the tangible difference is in the tone. With scallop bracing, you it makes the top or allows the top to vibrate differently. Um, it, it's, uh, it's more responsive to a lighter touch, but that also means it's going to uh, really start to vibrate under a heavy touch and, um, and for a heavy hand if you will and so I believe if what you really like is really strong fundamental notes that you can hear and that you can play really hard but they maintain their integrity then you want non-scallop bracing whether it's the 28 or the 35 and maybe more so in the 35 because once you scallop those braces and when you scallop the braces, what they're doing is they're carving troughs into the brace so they begin to look like a suspension bridge. And every so often they rise up into a peak, um, which is basically a, a node, and that's a dampening node on the top. So at that specific place, that it is adhering to the top and not allowing it to vibrate. And then the vibrations come off of that node and get increase as they farther away they get from the nodes until you get to the center of the troughs where they're they're vibrating at their most and they're starting to interplay with the vibrations coming off of the next node i hope that all makes sense but basically it's almost like they're almost like radio waves broadcasting out from a point where that node is not that there's the node isn't vibrating at all but if the brace is at its thickest at those nodes or those peaks and so the vibration you get from scalloped bracing, from the thinner bracing, everything just is radiating, to mix metaphors, radiating uh, sound producing energy. And that makes the top overdrive easier. So you get a tremendous roar out of the scalloped quarter inch bracing when you play them really hard. but they lose what you can say is the fundamental integrity because they're getting overdriven, just like, just the way like Keith Richards likes to overdrive an amp. And so that can be an appealing sound to some people. Some people love the lushness of it. Um, and when you pull back, you get a more echoey resonance from the scallop bracing that some people love. It can be very seductive. But, again, if you're mainly about wanting clear fundamental notes, whether you're recording, playing with other people, um, then you may want to seriously consider the non-scalloped sound because those notes stand out. And you still get the round, really round, bulbous bottom end. But that bottom end has a definite end to it where the scalloped braced version kind of rumbles its way out into infinity so it's a you know it's very much a personal choice if money is all that matters you're gonna be happy with an HD 35 uh, or a 35 if you can't afford the HD 35 you'll be happy with a D 35 but you really should listen to as many of them as possible and listen to them from outside have somebody else play them listen to as many videos as possible uh, go back and forth in the uh, the videos on Mario's music and listen to the two and let your own ear start to pay attention to what's there with this one what's there with this one what's missing from that one what's missing from that one is is there too much of this and not enough of that to make up your mind and good luck because when i play them back and forth it's really easy for me to really like the non scallop brace sound and that clarity and the punch and the definition the the real crystalline definition, all the way up into the highest harmonics, but going over to the rumbly side of the scallop bracing, that's also very seductive, has a lot of wow factor to it for me.
0: Well, thank you so much for thoroughly answering my question. Do you have any number of questions for me?
1: I don't, but I'll just pause for a moment just to say when it comes to your que- when it comes to asking you uh, questions of the customer, um, uh, there could be a long litany of them so we don't want to go over time but to go back to what you just said um, you know in in Tolkien it is uh, uh, Frodo sits down with an elf after he was been almost attacked by the nine riders this is not in the movies by the way this is in the novel and he asks him for advice and after a very long answer Frodo says uh, it is also said of the elves asked Ask them not for advice because they will say both yes and no. And uh, I'm that way with scallop bracing. If you're going to ask me, you know, (laughs) do I prefer scallop, should I buy a guitar with scallop bracing or not? I'm going to give you both yes and no for those reasons. So let's talk to you as a customer. What kind of music do you play?
0: I do an equal mix of fingerstyle and heavy handed rhythm.
1: Well, not hearing your heavy-handed rhythm, I might point you toward the HD35 if you really like uh, that overdriven sound, but I would probably actually tell you to check out the D35 because uh, you can play those things as hard as you want, uh, and they're going to retain those strong, clear, fundamental notes. Um, But if you mainly do finger-picking, you might want to go with the HD35 because it responds better with lighter, with a lighter touch. So you're going to get more volume with less attack and more projection with less attack from the scallop brace and getting the top moving sooner. So it is a conundrum, and, and I highly recommend uh, you either listen to Mori, and if you listen to Mori, then make sure that you uh, keep in mind That he (laughs) loves (laughs) scallop (laughs) racing. So don't live vicariously through him or me, because I love them both. So I wish I could be a better help. But I will say again, yes, no.
0: That was fantastic. And (laughs) see. Acting. (laughs) I'm back from my role playing. That was a good little community college acting, but my segue (laughs) game is weak. I was trying to coax you, and I've learned over these past few weeks, there's no coaxing. I've got to come right out and say it. Can we play 20 questions?
1: Uh, yes we can, but I wanted to say when it came to your acting, uh, I just have to say, kid, don't quit your day job.
0: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to say, who would quit this day job?
1: Yeah, no kidding. so 20 questions so here we have 20 questions in this d35 podcast this time i get to ask more 20 questions to figure out the guitar that he's thinking of a martin guitar since we're no longer at martin fest it's got to be a guitar that's currently available for sale today and still in production by cf martin and company and of those 20 questions three of them are allowed to be a guess at what model it might be
0: okay i am ready 20 questions on the clock go
1: I'll begin with my normal first question is this guitar a dreadnought no okay is this guitar made in Nazareth, Pennsylvania yes okay does this guitar have a long scale neck no Okay. okay great question is this guitar in the Modern Deluxe Series? Yes. Wow! Four. Does this guitar have pearl inlay on its top? No. That's five questions. Now, I have 15 questions and there are less than 15 models in the (laughs) the Modern Deluxe Series, (laughs) but I only get three model guesses. However, this guitar Have uh, Rosewood back and sides?
0: Yes. Okay. That's what makes it great. Well,
1: that takes care of the 18. So, does this guitar have a 14 fret neck? Yes. So, is this guitar Triple O
0: 28 Modern Deluxe? No, that's 17 questions.
1: (laughs) It's only eight. Now, just to get technical, is this guitar, the Triple 28E Modern Deluxe? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Nine, nine, not a record, but not too shabby.
0: Not a record, but extremely, extremely
1: admirable. That was great. So yes, 00028E Modern Deluxe with the fabulous Aura HD, the high-definition Aura, Fishman Aura pickup system currently exclusive to the Modern Deluxe series. Pretty cool stuff. Why don't you tell us a little more about the uh, model there, Don Pardo?
0: Great job, my friend. I really am happy that you got it in nine. Sometimes it sounds like when I give the answer, I'm so mad that you did get it at all. But that feeling quickly <laughs> goes away because we're on the same team. The Triple O twenty eight 28 E Modern Deluxe is in stock at Mari's as we're taping this. And it's really, it's everything you know about the Triple O 28. But in all honesty, and I really mean this across the board, just like the 18 Modern Deluxe, the D28 Modern Deluxe. It takes what I love about the standard series, in this case, the 00028, and really does improve upon it. It's a more resonant, more forward sounding, louder, more responsive version of a 00028. And that's before we even get into the aesthetics. A lot of people are gonna love the liquid metal bridge pin look plus its sound, the gold hardware and the gold Evo frets, gold tuners. The fact that the top is torrified really matters a lot and a lot of times people will call us and ask us, what's the big difference when it comes to modern deluxes? Is it the bridge pins? Is it the carbon fiber bridge plate? Is it the protein glue on the top? It's everything put together, and Martin really did everything they could to improve upon the standard series without going too far and too crazy to, if you would would overdo it and add too many more changes, this wouldn't be a triple O 28 anymore. So it's still at heart a triple O 28, but it's the improved tourified tone and then the fact that it has the very best pickup system you can get in a martin guitar in 2023 even if you don't play in all the time when you're going to plug this thing in it really really does shine and we talked to tim teal about this at length when they decided to put electronics on the modern deluxe series in general they were adamant at putting the very best stuff they could they didn't want to just simply throw something into these and say, you know, go find a PA system and good luck. They wanted the pickup system to be the very best thing to go along with what they consider, in this day and age, the very best series they have. So the 00028E, uh, you could always find the same thing in a 00028 Modern Deluxe and not go with the pickup. But this guitar is really, really special. And I've just been so consistently impressed by any Modern Deluxe that I've played and heard.
1: Very good. Very good. So now, speaking of modern and deluxe to a certain degree, the D35 remained virtually the same from the advent of the Indian Rosewood era all the way up until they reimagined the standard series. When it got a revamp in the form of the modified low oval profile that replaced the low profile and uh, the nut width increased to one and three-quarter inch, but it has the high-performance taper, so it still remains two and an eighth at the twelfth fret. So I always say it's really like the old neck that's just cheated out a little bit down where your wrist is at its most extreme when it comes to the angles you have to make to play the guitar down by the nut. So it's still a very sleek, fast neck, it's just a little wider down there and the string spacing is just a smidgen wider uh, t- uh, 2 and five thirty seconds so so it's um, still very similar to the one before that the biggest difference is the forward shifted bracing it retains the quarter inch top bracing that gives a uh, greater vibration than the quarter inch top bracing of the D28 But both of them remain non scallop bracing, so it still has its own unique sound and uh, just an additional boost to the bottom end, thanks to the forward shifted bracing, that uh, frees up the area going across the lower bout. The center of the lower bout, the the struts of the X-brace are a little farther apart because the X-brace center has been moved forward uh, up toward the treble bout and so you get some really nice uh, meaty bass response as as a result of that. Otherwise, uh, it now has a binding that's the antique white instead of the stark white again it's really, uh, they were first looking into that when they were coming out with the D35 Retro I think it was where they wanted to try to uh, make the style 35 look older, and so that antique white binding, which is now on all of these uh, standard series uh, guitars that that don't have tortoiseshell binding, it basically looks like uh, it doesn't really look like old ivory like the 1930s, but it does look like the the old uh, binding that Martin. Uh, you see on old Martins from the 50s and 60s, I think it's a really nice look. And then it has the aging toner on the top, too. Again, to make it look much more like a 1960s uh, Martin. So, uh, you know, Martin D35. So, very cool guitar. Still very popular, even if it is the road less traveled compared to the 28s. But, uh, but there's still plenty of fans out there of the Martin D35.
0: Ah, sneaky little plug for our friend John Galella and The Road Less Traveled. Good tune.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was that was completely unconscious, but yes, it is. In fact, it <laughs> sounds exactly like a tune that could have come from that era. There's something about it that is, I was saying to a friend that it sounded like something the folksmen would have been singing in a mighty wind, you know, or one of those folk acts. <laughs> but it really does. You know, it's not something very John denver about it. There's something very... Uh, very, maybe even Gordon Lightfoot about the melody and all that. So someday, maybe people will hear him uh, sing it, especially if you come to Martin Fest next year, because I'm sure he had such a good time. He'll be back next year. Right on. So,
0: John, if you're listening, thank you for putting that earworm in Spoon's head. It's still there.
1: <laughs> it certainly is.
0: Um, <laughs> well, Spoon, it's getting late, but before I let you go, I do want to ask you one serious question with a little bit of humor into it. You were talking about the D28 and the D18. Uh, around that time when the D35 came out. The 35 was progressive, the 35 was premium, because the D45 hadn't been around yet. Would you buy a custom shop guitar, if I design it to be like a D35 combined with a D45, and do you think the name D3545 is cool?
1: Sadly, this reporter says no. No, it's uh, <laughs> I would say I've seen some really cool looking conversions when people have taken D35s and had expert luthiers like uh, David Musselwhite or people like that, uh, you know, convert them to style 45 instruments. So a three-piece oh. back with a 45 looks really cool. I bet. And... um that's something I'm not the person to ask because I wouldn't buy that. I can't, I can't afford those kind of pearly Martins. But that's an interesting question. You know people who do afford them. Maybe you can reach out to them for an opinion uh, privately and say, uh, you know, what would you think if Mari- Mari's Music was going to try to do uh, something that combined a D35 with a D45? I think that's a fascinating question. Why don't our listeners, if they're on the YouTube version of this, put their comments about that uh, below the video version of this podcast
0: well that's a great idea and as far as contacting somebody who could afford it if you were at nas Fest, you know i do have ed madonio's number
1: <laughs> name dropper that he is but uh <laughs> but uh but he's not a three-piece back man you could ask him i but there's somebody else ah. there who is who has one of those kind of conversions so uh interesting it's an interesting uh, possibility Fascinating. Be curious to hear what the quote on that would be from Martin these days. Um, but yeah.
0: Well, Spoon, this has been 35 tons of fun. I really am glad you took some time to educate us all on the history of the Martin D35. Thank you again, Jim, for the show suggestion. And from all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening.
1: Hear you later.
0: This has been a presentation of Maury's Music your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at moreysmusic.com.